Welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Retail Ask an Expert series. I'm your host, Chris Walton. And I'm Ann Mazinga. And we are the founders of OmniTalk, the fast-growing retail media outlet that is all about the companies, the technologies, and the people that are coming together to shape the future of retail. Or as I like to say, and Ann, she, she goes along with it sometimes, the media organization that focuses on tomorrow, today. And today... We are looking back at 2023. Can you believe it, Anne? We are no. already in recap content season. We are I'm, already I'm, recapping the year. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not ready for it yet. I have to say. But if we, I was going to do this with anyone, our guest is definitely the person who, if anyone can ease us into a recap of 2023, it's this person. It's this person. Yeah, he's all right. Yeah. He's all right. Yeah, you know, we've had him on. We've had him on the show a few times. Probably a few times over the years. I think it's probably like. The fifth or sixth time. So he's without a doubt, to your point, Ed, one of our favorite guests, if not our favorite guests. And so true to form, folks, and joining us to share his key lessons learned over the past year of 2023 is none other than Placer AI's SVP of Marketing, Ethan Chernovsky. Ethan, welcome back to OmniTalk. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I, I feel like the year is it's half projection. Five months of recap and then one month of, in the middle, we actually focus on what's going on. <laughs> yes, right. 100%. Yes. That one month in June where all of us do the work, or July, where all of us do the work and then everything else is just like catching up or trying to predict Everyone's what's going to happen. Everyone's on vacation and we're focusing on what's actually happening. That's right. Right. That about sums up our life, Anne, don't you think? I think it does. Uh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> now, before we get into our session with Ethan, I want to just remind everybody who's joining us today on LinkedIn Live that you can ask questions of Ethan and the Placer team at any time during this conversation in the chat window to the right of your screen. Now, Ethan, let's, let's start with an overview. Um, tell the audience what Placer is and a little bit about the data that you collect that makes it such a useful tool for those in the audience who are listening and for this topic today. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the kind of data that's giving us our perspective, really, really simple version, people vote with their feet. We show you how they vote across the United States every single day uh, to retail locations. How does it work? We view a panel of tens of millions of mobile devices. Very critically, this all aggregated de-identified data. So we are GDPR and CCPA compliant. We then utilize machine learning and AI algorithms on top of that data to make estimations on retail locations. And we display that in a wealth of different reports within our platform on everything from visits, visit share, cross visits, the whole shopper journey to trade areas and a whole lot more. Nicely done. I think I, I think that was very well done, Ethan. I think I could actually almost recite that ourselves at this point, Ed and I too, having had you on the show so many times. But nicely done. Thanks for the refresher. For those maybe OmniTalk fans that have been living under a rock that maybe aren't as familiar with your work as we are and and always love having you on. So so let's not keep this, the audience in suspense any longer, Ethan. Um, you know, and true to form, authenticity is very important to us, right, Anne? It's one of the yes. things we pride ourselves on. We have not seen what you're about to share with us. So we are seeing it in live time with everyone else. It's our first look at it. So Ethan, without further ado, what is the big lesson learned from this past year? What is the number one lesson learned from this past year? The thing is, is that I'm, I'm always going to cheat because I, I couldn't <laughs> Limit it to five. Could it get five, five-ish? I, I love it. I did a little bit more. So we're going five-ish. So Okay, cool. Let's let's start with the first one. And we kind of started the year here. If you think like way yeah. back, we were kind of looking. And I think it's important to end the year here too, because we're starting to see some changes. And Ooh, okay. Right. Changes. So 
we love the idea of flexible work. We know hybrid work. Mm-hmm. We know that it's given the consumer something fundamentally different in their lives. That's changed the way they shop, when they shop, where they shop, because they're not in the same place. It's given us this idea of kind of three different modes, right? The weekend, the weekday, and the weekday from home. And that has a huge impact. But what's what's interesting is through the first five months of the year, we saw this plateau of essentially okay. where visits were down to about about 40% of where they were pre-pandemic. Hmm. That shifted in June and it held. So from June through August, we were down at about 35%. Now, September was a little bit weird. You have a lot of holidays. It's a stranger month. But the idea that this is starting to recover is really interesting hmm. because what it tells us is likely are we going to see hybrid work disappear? No. But are we starting to see things look a lot more like pre-pandemic than they did during the height of the pandemic? Yes. And that tells us what it might look like in business districts, that it might look more than it is today, even if it's not Mm. quite what it was, that the suburban Mm. opportunity that exists currently might not be as powerful next year as it is right now. And so there's some really important lessons when we think about what are we learning from this and what, how does it apply moving forward of how do I, if I'm a retailer that's benefiting from the current situation, how do I lean into the current situation more to incentivize that behavior to continue to the greatest extent possible? And I think if for those who have been more challenged by the current situation, one, it's not going back to 100%. We need to come to terms with that. Mm. Right. But right. it could be looking better, and that should have some influence in the way you're looking at your plans moving forward. So, Ethan, so what are the implications of this then? Like, does this stand to impact certain retailers more than others? Like, how should people be looking at this? And, you know, if it, if it is starting to... I don't want to say snap back. That's probably the wrong word. But yeah. if it is starting to come back, are there certain certain retailers that should benefit from that? If it continues yeah. to grow, do they benefit even more? Like, uh, what's what's your thoughts there? Restaurant chains in that are mm-hmm. operating in in dense urban environments that are around business areas, mm-hmm. they are going to likely see a benefit from the recovering behavior. Mm-hmm. The grocery store that was seeing this significant uptick in that Tuesday morning visit. Mm. That might dissipate. The f- might go the other way. Yeah. Yeah, the grab exactly. and go meals, that kind of thing. Yeah. So the qu- I think there is this question of if I'm the grocery store, I'm asking, how do I how do I make this last longer? How do I incentivize that behavior so that I'm trying to communicate that this is actually a better thing for you? Whereas for the restaurant that's sitting in the middle of New York City across from the whole range of office buildings, I have my fingers crossed that this pace continues. Ethan, what about like for Macy's? We're seeing Macy's go into smaller format stores in the suburbs. Like, how does that, how does this kind of like slow rebound impact somebody who's maybe going hard in on going into the suburbs? So I, I think Macy's needs to find new mechanisms to drive success. And so I don't know that this is such a significant change that it would impact that strategy like there still okay. is clearly something more in the suburban environment that they should be looking for i think also their experience with like bloomingdale's bloomies and these kind of newer formats yeah yeah obviously influences this this decision making mm-hmm. i think this is going to have a bigger effect on you know unfortunately some, some of the upside right that was there for again for me the biggest example is is grocery just because you do see that pattern of behavior shift of like i'm going to come at a different time and i mm-hmm. think we talked about and we talked about this wow. here on this platform. Yeah. yeah. How important it is when you see a positive behavior to incentivize. This is not a situation of the customer is always right. This is a situation where sometimes the customer shifts and that shift is good for you. How do you make that behavior stickier? And I think mm-hmm. that's what you're going to 
hopefully see from the brands who benefit from this behavior in the next couple of months. That's interesting though, because what you're saying essentially is there's another bullet in the chamber against the grocer here in the back half of the year, potentially. You've got them competing the the pressures of inflation, you know, less units, and then also potentially the 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 headwind now that they're facing in terms of people, you know, going, moving back into the office and that type of thing and, and not getting the benefit of that change of behavior like you talked about. That's that's interesting. Something I to keep an eye on. Groceries done. Groceries been in tremendous. When you look at like visit share for grocery, it's been yeah. tremendously resilient, even in the face of expansion of of dollar stores, even in the face of the of the strength of superstores. When you compare those categories, mm-hmm. I, the more our lives get busy, the more we're going to lean on things like QSR and the restaurant order, etc. It is on the grocery chains to to think about how do they fit better if that recovers and more perhaps even more importantly to think about how do I incentivize you to say, even if I'm going to go in four days a week instead of three days a week, that fourth day, I'm going to go in later because I I love going to the grocery store at nine o'clock. It's quiet. (laughs) It's easy. It makes my life better. I think that is the big question. And it's not, this isn't like a zero sum game where it's all or nothing. This is obviously percentage shifts, but it is an opportunity that I think they benefited from that I think they would like to hold on to. Now they got merchandise to it, right? That's what you're saying. Go ahead, Ann. Merchandise and I think think about what convenience means in all these settings. So, you know, again, making sure that that you have the curbside pickup option, which might Mm -hmm. not work with deliver like as much as delivery was when you were at home and had a larger window of time to work with. So, yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Ethan, what's next? We have to. We're we're not allowed to talk about retail. (laughs) It's a rule. That's true. I think it is a rule now. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I'm not going to mess with it. <laughs> I, I think this year has taught us that the the promise of the physical store is really significant. And I'm gonna I'm gonna steal my mm. my my good friend Andrew Lipsman as idea here of like the three phases: retail media one was online, two is offline, three is like offline plus of like pop-ups, mm. experiences in stores, and the like. And I think that's why people are so excited. And what I think we saw in 2023 was validation, right? So. We had the swing to online. We know how powerful it is. But when we come back offline, Walmart's getting 60 million more uniques in the month of July than they have online. Target's getting significantly more uniques in the store than they have online. Not to mention the length of visit. Not to mention the discovery mode. Not to think about how close you are to the point of sale versus the other things you're looking to do online. These data points are real and they're really significant. And I think the big question that's going to happen in 2024 is, do brands effectively learn the lessons from online retail media while recognizing the potential of offline retail media to maximize its potential? And that means thinking about the journey. It can't be too aggressive. If it's too aggressive, we're not going to like it. We're going to find it annoying. It needs to be embedded. It needs to keep me in the physical space. Uh, Andy Murray, former SVP of marketing at Walmart, was on one of our webinars once talking about, he's like, I don't want to see retail media in the physical store, take me to my device. That is the opposite of what I want. Right. Keep me in my environment. And so I think, can we learn those lessons? Can we embed it within a positive journey? We're going to see this kind of buzzy topic take the next step forward, as opposed to kind of going into the the heap of all of the other technological or innovative concepts that just never met their potential. Right. Yeah. I'm, I- I'm curious, Ethan, like, where do you think we are in that journey? Like, you know, you mentioned Andrew and shout out to him. He's a great guy. And hopefully he's watching too, potentially, but uh, or listening later. But 
What do you think? Are we are we even in phase two though? Like what? What? Like no. Okay, good. No, Thank we, God. We are, okay. We are, the, we are we're, phase one is happened. Like let's let's be clear. Phase mm-hmm. two is like, are we going to lean in on this? We have the starts of it, but you have like things that are moving in the right direction. We had colleagues at a conference recently, and they were being told that there's groups who are working on how do we bring together lots of smaller chains to have one kind of point of sale for advertisers to be able to reach lots of large chains because you can't have a strategy for walmart target home depot lowe's right. public cvs it doesn't work it's too much so that simplification is really important the continued ongoing value of kind of digital screens and what's happening there is important rising ev i think ev is one of the coolest yeah. things going on and i think that yep. signals lots of ways that that uh, the retail media could progress i think there is a recognition now of what the promise is, I think the key is going to be who can drive value from it because the faster that happens, the more you'll see the copycats and the and the, those who want to jump in on this. And okay, let's roll. Let's keep rolling. Let's see what what's three ish, Ethan. Three ish. I, I know this is new. I know you're going to be shocked by this. The product no, is important, kidding. right? Product is <laughs> a little key, bit, a little bit. Right? Yeah. I, 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 if you want to, if you want to stand up and sit back down to kind of let this sink in, please go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Stand up and then sit back down. Is that what you said? This is a big statement. And then, so I want to, sometimes, and I've done this before in this format, where in this forum, where we have said things that you're like, what? That's obvious. I'm like, yeah, but nobody's doing it and nobody listens to it. This is one of those places. And (laughs) I'll give you my my favorite example of this is kind of Barbie, right? Theaters are dead. Nobody's ever going to go to the theater again. Why would anyone ever go to the theater? All of a sudden, there's like buzzy topics. Everyone goes to the theater, right? It's this, we get a question very often of like, is it experiences at the expense of products? Is it Mm. this product at the expense of that product? The answer is, that's too simplistic. Great products win. If you lean in on great products, if you find them, if you market them effectively, they're going to drive crowds. They're going to drive transactions. If you have poorly fitting products, you're not going to succeed. So think about your favorite uh, I don't know, tear-jerking, deep drama. You don't need to go to the theater to watch that. It's not going to fit. We just, you know, there's the new Napoleon movie coming out and the director's cut is like 78 hours and it's going straight to streaming. Why? Because nobody wants to be in the theater for that long. That makes sense. We need to think about how we bring the right products to the right places. I'll give you another example. The, the idea of Lululemon and Nike. And all of these things of like, we try to bend over backwards for, oh, it's athleisure. And it's the fact that we we're working from home more. So I wear a button up shirt and then I'll wear my, my athletic comfortable pants. It's not just the fact that they're comfortable. It's the fact that people love the product. So I, I do think there is this element of we over exaggerate in some, cha- in some cases to try and be simplistic, the death of this segment, the death of mm-hmm. the rise of this other segment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much more micro than that. And it's about these companies having the right products to bring to the right people. Uh, the thing I would say is like, um, it's differentiated product. Mm-hmm. That's really what you're talking about here. It's products that you can't get anywhere else because then that's where the experience comes into play, right? Like if, if I can get the same product at retailer A and retailer B, then I'm coming, then I'm choosing based on brand experience and price, right? But if it's truly differentiated product, like the case of Barbie, the only place I can get the Barbie experience that, that you want is in that movie theater watching it that way. I think that's the nuance that I would add to this discussion. Go ahead, Ethan. No, I think I think you're I think you're dead on. I think it's this idea of like it's not I think convenience is overrated. 
So it's not like, Mm. I don't think it's the most important thing. I actually think it actually falls further and further down the list when we think about what we really want. Now, that's not all products. If I want, you know, paper towels, I want paper towels and I want them in my house when I need them. I get it. It's over-oriented on the convenience spectrum. But for something like a movie, the primary consideration is not, is it convenient for me to see it in that format? To see the Barbie movie, not only do I need to go, somehow I need to gather up whatever pink stuff I have and wear it and go be part of this experience. It's not about convenience. It's about experience. Exactly. And so I think recognizing that, that that spectrum is not as simplistic as we sometimes make it out to be Mm-mm. is very important. I agree with you. I think the differentiated is, is a really important point. One size fits all is dying. I think we all know that. And the question is, how do you stand out? That's the part too with like Lululemon, right? Is like the product's differentiated too. That, that, that is the, the people are going to Lululemon because they love the product there for that reason, right? I think so. I think that's, you know, that's part of it. But I was curious, I mean, Ethan, are you seeing this with anything outside of like entertainment? I mean, are you seeing this happen within a retailer, for example, especially as retailers are kind of starting to figure out how to get people back into stores again and and continue to get traffic and, and to continue to develop a relationship with them in store? Yeah, hundred percent. I think, I think if you think about, I mean, we're going to talk about them teaser. We're going to talk about them too, but about like Best Buy's push into like health tech products, mm-hmm. right? And as that as a draw to bring people into stores, right? About, I know we're talking about like a service here, but think about like uh, CVS's health hubs, right? Things that are differentiated, that are interesting, that are valuable, that w- give you an excuse to come to a store. And then you're going to do more when you're in that. I think these are, this is all about having high quality products that speak to a specific audience that I want to have in my location. All right, Ethan, let's go on to number four. And this is one that that I'm like obsessed with because I think it's an idea that uh, it's for, to me was really brought to me by someone else. And uh, and so it kind of sunk in this, this, this way of shifting the way I viewed kind of experience in retail. And it's this idea of like experience, not experiential. And I think yeah. one of the biggest challenges that we hear from, from retailers, we hear this a lot from our kind of real estate customers as well in the retail space, is how do we create these experiences that are exciting that, that, you know, are going to get people to our centers, get people to our stores. How do we have some installation, the climbing wall, the big event, and not minimizing any of those things. They all have a time and a place. But I think we sometimes lose out on the idea of like, what's experience within retail? And mm-hmm. sometimes experience is what's embedded into why you shop there. The reason I go to a store is for the experience. So for example, I mean, we mentioned, you know, I don't, we mentioned, uh, you know, Lululemon. And they do all this great stuff with kind of uh, yoga studios and that, and that's building brand. And there's no question that that's valuable. Is that why people are buying product? No, I don't. I don't think they, that is why they're buying product. I think when you look at places like you know Marshalls, the treasure hunt experience that we talk about ad nauseum with off price, it works. It fits the idea that it is there is an experience that makes sense within that store environment. There's a reason I come there. The the we think about you know Best Buy, whether it be the way they do service at the store, whether it be the ability to touch and feel products that I want to purchase, the over-orientation I have to go and play with something before I want to buy it, especially when it's a higher ticket item. Places like Home Depot that really focus on service and experiences and helping to guide you in the process of what you're going to go through, especially for that do-it-yourself you know, enthusiast. Even Ulta, like we talk about this quite a bit when we think about makeup, but there's something about going to purchase that product that digital hasn't supplanted in terms of you know, I can use one of these technologies that lets me see what a makeup looks like on my face, but it's not necessarily a perfect fit. And I want perfect when I'm thinking about something like that. So I think so many more retailers really need to 
ask themselves what it is that I'm getting out of the visit in order to make that visit effective. Because if there's no extra value that the visit gives me other than convenience, then my model needs to change. Then it's about how do I over-orient towards BOPIS and online? Because the store is not bringing me something extra or different. I think even elements like when we think about clothing, stores oriented towards just trying things on and having a fitting room so that I can make mm-hmm. sure I, I have the product I want because I'm not going to buy everything now. And once I have the size I want, maybe I'm going to continue purchasing it online, which is fantastic. But solve the problem for the customer in the store in that visit. And if you're not solving a real problem, then you have a real question about what your physical store is for. Yeah. Ethan, I love this part, especially it's almost for me, it's like getting back to the convenience element of it. It's like, what's the, what is convenient about going to the store, which is the more convenient option for people sometimes. Is it that I know you're going to have the product in stock? Like you've invested in, you know, product updates so that I can look online before I go into a store and know that I'm going to be able to execute on my mission of not only, you know, getting a makeup recommendation in the right tone that I need at Ulta, but then also that you actually have the product. I don't have to order it online or do any of those things. So I, I, I think about it from that lens. I don't know if, if you are seeing things that follow that thread, but it seems like, you know, it's not about how many, you know, which, which influencer is going to be at the store that week or what kind of execute experiential execution they're doing, but like, how do I actually pay off the convenience of being able to go into a physical store and, and execute on a mission. I mean, I agree. And I think it's it's a basic element that should underpin the retail experience or I mean, any experience for that matter. But I think very often it, it gets overlooked because it's so obvious. And I think mm-hmm. we talk about sometimes as a result, you know, again, let's, let's take the treasure hunt experience. Mm-hmm. The treasure hunt experience is in theory, breaking so many rules, right? All <laughs> prices are, right. right? It's not convenient. Oh, oh, but you get what you, sometimes you get what you want and sometimes you don't right, get right. what you want. And that's annoying, right? Except it's the treasure. It's the, but there's value. So it's how much do I play in the value? Is the value enough to make it worth it that I'm going to go search through a rack that has 800 dresses to find the one that I want? They also have such a scattered mix of things. All of a sudden you're walking past the Sioux section and there's toys everywhere, which makes perfect sense. That's the mindset I'm in, right? And then there's like things for your house and there's, there's element, not The idea that some of this stuff doesn't make sense, but still works, I think is really important. And it asks, like, what do we expect from the retailer? And what is the retailer providing? Sometimes it's not as simple as, oh, it's just it's making it more convenient or easier. Sometimes we can raise our hand and say, you're right. I don't understand why this works so well, but it does work. And there's the magic and the experiences in that. Yeah, I, I I would actually push back on the convenience side of things. I think, you know, I mean, we've talked about on this show a lot, the five reasons stores exist, right? And we won't go through them again. Convenience is one element of them. And I think it was, so, I don't remember who at Walmart said that, but like the bar for convenience has actually gotten to the point where everyone knows what it needs to be, right? Mm-hmm. For a physical store, right? If you've got curbside pickup set up, you've got buy online pickup and store set up, you know, then, you know, it's pretty much table stakes at that point for your, and then it's, you come in the shopping experience, how quick is it to check out and and do all the things you need to know or that you need to do. So everyone gets that. But the point that the slide is making to me is more about, okay, even within that, there are differences. Like the treasure hunt's a great example. Like you're willing to give up the convenience side because you know, you're going to get the inspirational product, the differentiated product you can't find anywhere else at the value you can't find anywhere else as well. That's what keeps bringing people back into that model. Home Depot, 
you get the service element too, the component there. So it's all compo- comprised around what is the business model of the retailer itself that helps to determine what keeps them coming back. And then how you develop your stores, how you develop your marketing. Mm-hmm. All this is centered when it makes sense. It works. When you don't know what that is, what is the reason why I'm going there? If the reason I'm just going there is, no, yes. we have it too. That's not a good enough reason. And I no. think you see, you know, right. You know, Knock on wood and a, and a goodbye to some of the retailers that, that I, I had a, a certain affinity for that didn't make it. Like th- if that was the reason why people are coming to your stores because they got a coupon in the mail and then you happen to have stores close by, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. Let's keep rolling. What are we on? This is, this is where we're getting into the ish territory. So I had two that I wanted to keep. Okay. I, I, right. So, so we have, we have two. We'll do them a little bit faster. One is trend alignment. And I think that like everything is experienced. It's all about kind of understanding. What is the great product? How are you delivering it? How are you delivering on that experience to the consumer? But it really helps when trends align, right? It's really helpful for if I'm a dollar store and the economic situation mm. makes value extra important. It is helpful for off price when the economic situation is a little more challenging. And then it, you know, I have an even better offering in that environment. And I think the importance of remembering this is not just in the short term. If I'm a retailer, how do I lean in? And I'll give you my example of where I think it was missed. If you think like early pandemic, what was the biggest buzz? It was do it yourself. It was buying furniture for your lawn and for your deck and wherever it was. There were a lot of retailers who had that element as a part of their business. Very few of them were pushing that or emphasizing it, even on their websites, which is much easier to implement change, right? Hey, you know, this thing that's really hot right now, we have it too. That ability to quickly to move into kind of trends is really important. And it obviously presents some advantages. And it presents disadvantages. Some brands are not going to have the same upside in a very short period of time. And it's okay. We need to temper our concerns and probably our excitement for when those kind of shifts happen. What you really want to see is the brands that are most effective at offsetting those negatives and leaning into the positive. So my favorite for this is Starbucks. Starbucks always launches some ridiculous drink that is not that exciting in the middle of the summer when they have a lull, right? Why? Because they're throwing a dart at the board. It's not their best time. They're trying to see what they can do to to bump up visits. And then they focus on their pumpkin spice latte launch. They lean in heavily to Black Friday. They master their red cup day where you get to, you also sign up for the, for the loyalty program. That understanding of when are my highs? When are my lows? How do I lean into my best periods and try to offset my negatives? is a tactic, I think, or an approach that I think has a tremendous amount of value. The other thing I gained from this slide is like going back to the last conversation too, like you, the department stores on this thing, you know, like Mm -hmm. there you talk about it, not, you know, non-differentiated product. You know, what I can get at one is the same thing I can get at the other. You might put a little bit on the service element if you're like a Nordstrom's or higher end Bloomingdale's, but you know, when you get right back down to it, that's a tough space to play in consistently over the long run. And it seems like it's bearing out in the numbers too. Yeah, you got a lot of store closures. You have a lot of challenges in explaining what it is here that we do that's so interesting and why you need to do it here. I think, you know, take the opposite of, you know, you talked about the service, like Chanel launched the store where it's appointment only. To me, that's where retail is going. A retailer that is very unapologetically understanding what they're trying to accomplish with each location, as opposed to how do I create this kind of wide, the widest possible tent and hope that people will come in, even if the experience has to be watered down as a result. Ethan, I'm curious if the off-price retailers, when we're seeing on the slide that, you know, of all of these retailers, they're having increases 
in visits. Do you think that you know the the onslaught of of apparel that everybody had um, that they overbought and are probably have that has moved into this off price sector has anything to do with that? That there's maybe more available products that it's newer that the trend alignment maybe is is better than it's been in years past you see any of that causing an impact here or is it too soon to tell i don't know i don't know and it's it's an area where i don't think my expertise speaks to enough for me to like really give a good answer it's possible that it does it's possible that it doesn't i think they have a bunch of things working for them obviously the short term you had people looking for value more Mm -hmm. they have a very clear differentiated inflation that everyone's looking for. Inflation is a good example. People moving to the suburbs, right? If you are living in the suburbs, you are right. probably a stone's throw from one of these locations. That's more valuable. If you have more space, if you have more time, like if you're not, if you're home more, if you right. have, your weekend trip to the grocery store went away, all of a sudden you have an hour and change to walk through Marshalls and, and or Ross, wherever it may be. So I think there's a lot of things that worked in their favor. Uh, I don't see a lot. Some of those are hopefully will go away. But I don't yeah. see a lot of those going away, which is why. I think we'd be so bullish on that space. It's an interesting point, though, Anne. Like, if you know, you look at the correlations of this over time. You know, if you get in a situation where the para, the the mainline apparel retailers are overbought and they have to liquidate their inventory, does that push more traffic into the off-price sellers, like the TJXs of the world, and they reap the benefits of that? That'd be curious to see over the over the long run, just how correlated this, the traffic data is in that regard. And at what point does it hit its its max? Right, because right. there's so much discretionary spend. That the consumers has. That's what's fascinating about this too, is that you're seeing those traffic increases even on discretionary categories, which the off-price retailers play into for the most part, especially in in the apparel space. All right, Ethan, what do we have next Last up? One. Final big lesson. Final yeah. lesson. Final lesson. Okay. Final lesson. You don't need to think about anything else next year, <laughs> no matter what the company. <laughs> <laughs> all those nuggets we dropped, just forget them all. all just ignore, forget them all. By the way, go with this one. The other five-ish. Who cares? This is the only one I care about. No, <laughs> uh, I think uh, DTC balance, and this is something that you know okay. some really smart people have been talking about for a while. And this is at the height of the kind of everything's gonna be owned. I don't need any wholesale relationships. I'll just right. cut all of those. Right? There are some really smart people saying actually you want those two, and it's about how do you use them all together. And I think this year has kind of really emphasize that point. So if there's any doubt about like, hey, every brand's going to have 200 stores across the country and they don't need wholesale relationships anymore. That's not the case. I think it's about having this mix. For most, wow. it's going to be a small number of own locations that allow them to get their brand across in key areas. Really interesting question will be, where are those key areas now and how have those key areas changed within the kind of wider environments and the shifts we've seen? But the idea that we're going to have this every digitally native is going to have is going to be like Warby Parker or Allbirds. It's not the case. I think we have to lean into that, understand it and recognize that there's going to be a different type of balance. And by the way, we think about all the challenges for like department stores. That's still one of their advantages. And one of the things to lean into if I can build, can I build my brand around the idea that you can't get this everywhere? And right. are there relationships I can create that allow me to differentiate myself? Can I create experiences in the stores that make it more effective and more valuable around the recognition that those wholesale channels are still very valuable to retail, to kind of product companies? Yeah, especially with the growth that we're seeing from companies like Shields and Bass Pro Shops and Dick's Sporting Goods. I mean, given the numbers that we see in front of us here, 
you know, decreased visits to sports and sporting goods stores. They definitely are doing what you're saying, Ethan, and leaning in heavily to the experiences that you can have in that space in addition to being the place where you get the product. So I think that's going to be something we'll we'll have to pay close attention to. Yeah, that's an interesting question too, Anne. In closing, I want to get Ethan, what are your thoughts on that? Because Anne and I've been talking a lot about that. We talked about it on a recent podcast too. Like, like if you're in these spaces that you've been ta- discussing today with us, like would you be going, would you be going big or small? Like how would you in how would you be size tr- of location? Yeah, in terms of size of location. Because Anne's right, you've got shields and dicks on one hand going bigger to trap to play try and play up the experiential aspects around the products that they're selling. And then you've got the examples like Bloomingdale's, Macy's going smaller. And it's probably not, it's probably not a there's yeah. probably not one right answer for the context, but how do you think about that in total? I think we could name 10 brands right now and come up with 10 different strategies. My favorite yeah. approach, mm-hmm. I'd say, is the Lululemon approach. Lululemon has their kind of larger format, super experiential oriented. I've got a yoga studio, a juice bar, get a, get a massage. Oh, by the way, we also sell products here. <laughs> they have stores that are like really small format in the middle of a mall, go and get the product you want. And they have others that are somewhere in between in terms from a sizing perspective and what they're looking to achieve. Yeah. To me, I want multiple formats to be able to reach audiences in different ways. Like, and I right. want to be able to, to move. Like, I, I think flexibility is really important. Obviously, you don't want to put a store in a place and then change it every year. It's, it's not going to, it doesn't work. Yeah, do it. Yeah. You can't make that work. But. I do want to have flexibility to go into places with a clear reason why not, hey, I only have one format. How do I jam that format into this large urban environment? I want to be able to have some flexibility. And, you know, let's take an example that's not on here. I'll talk about a brand that I, that I personally love very much. I really love Untuck It. Like, I think they're a great brand. I think they have a great product. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of their audience, like we mentioned before, would love to go into a store once, try on the product and never have to go into that store again. Great. Mm-hmm. If that's the case... In areas where I am, where that is the core group I'm trying to reach, I want a fitting room experience that allows me to try on products, see things visually, link it as quickly to my online, try to get someone to make a purchase so they join my loyalty program. But I don't care if they buy one thing or 10 things. I I think I have them in the long term. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I'm doing something in a major city, I might want it to be more experiential, much more like, hey, this guy's walking in with his partner and that partner is less about just trying on. They want to see how it looks. They want to get a vibe. They want to feel excited about it. I want to have multiple formats that I can utilize in the ideal space. So I think flexibility is almost the priority, obviously within a specific amount of, of range. Like you don't want an infinite number of options. It doesn't work. But I think flexibility is key. So spoken like a true consultant, then the answer is it depends. It depends, it depends right? And you you want to be strategic and surgical in your approach of how you yeah. want to design your store formats and not think that one silver bullet answer of format is the right answer going forward. Is that what you're saying, Ethan? I feel like I'm saying that, but I'm also adding that like these ideas are super important, but if they don't work for you, it's because you didn't apply them right. And had I told you how to apply them, it would have been. <laughs> no, I think it's I think, like, obviously, like, I think, I think you're nailing it. I think what we're talking about, a lot of the things that we've said today are not like rocket science. It's really about application. I think things like experience or product. It's going back to fundamentals. Yeah. No, no, this isn't like, oh my God, I can't, I can't believe you think that products are important. I do think there is very often a step missing of like, why am I doing things? Even failures, even things that don't work are effective when you know why you're doing them. So then when it doesn't work, you understand how you got there as opposed to, I saw this brand doing it, so we're doing it too. Yeah. And so I think that kind of check is super important. 
Well, Ethan, this has been so incredible. Thank you so much for sharing all this data with us. Um, For those of you who joined us, thank you as well for giving us your ideas and thoughts and questions as we went through this conversation with Ethan. Um, Ethan, if people want to get deeper into this data, they want to get your possibly consultant, it depends opinion on some of their other questions that they didn't get the chance to ask during this. Uh, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Uh, so I'm at Ethan at Placer.ai. Happy to show you kind of your way to the data where I think you will do far better than if you you asked me for my own idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you trust so much. Trust your own judgment. That's the point yes. of this it. Yes. Thank- <laughs> grounded in data, though, but trust your own judgment. Grounded in data, right? Yes. <laughs> but then yes. do whatever you want. Yeah. People vote with their feet. That we will not forget that. Um, Next time that you're re- going to do it, right? I'm going to. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that wraps us up. Thanks again to Ethan Chernovsky of Placer AI for sitting down with us today. Thanks to all of you who joined us live on LinkedIn and those who are listening later. And of course, as always, on behalf of all of us here at OmniTalk, be careful out there. <laughs>